Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Marty Swedberg, and I'm so excited to have you with us this afternoon. And our special guest, Sherry Poundstone, is here with us today. We're going to be talking about women's ministry leadership and what the Bible has to say about this. We're going to hear from all kinds of people like Abraham and Noah and Joseph and Joshua and Moses and Isaiah, Daniel, Jesus, of course, Peter, Paul, John, David, all kinds of people that are going to help us understand what leaders are and what they do. Our guest today, Sherry Poundstone, is a speaker, an author, and a radio talk show host, and she's the founder and director of Focus Ministry for Women, and I'm so excited to welcome you here today, Sherry. Welcome. Thank you, Marnie. I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to talk about this subject. Ah, I love this topic, and I love how you're addressing it. Uh, we're going to talk about gifts and vision and followers and confrontation and vulnerability and so many things that are critically important to biblical leadership, and yet sometimes we just get all about the hubbub of, of doing the work in front of us and we forget what it's really all about. So maybe before we launch in, why don't you just give us a little introduction about what you're going to share with us today and maybe why it's on your heart. That would be great. I think what I've seen is that it may sound like a no-brainer to say lead your women's ministry according to biblical principles, but I think a lot of times, especially leading women who are leaders, tend to maybe approach it from more of a corporate standpoint or how we've been trained in the corporate world. Um, Not to say that those two things can't intertwine, because they certainly can, but leading our ministry group according to God's word, um, we can incorporate the structure and the mentoring and the skill training, but we need to uh, introduce biblical principles at all times and follow um, recognize our team members' spiritual gifts and follow that. So I just think that these leadership traits with biblical examples are super important. And I hope today that I can convey a few practical takeaways so that people who are leading, women who are leading women's ministry can just you know implement them immediately and have a stronger and more effective team. Oh, that's great. And I know you're involved in women's ministry, have been for many years. And maybe why don't we just, before we launch into these 12 leadership, um, I guess, skills or leadership paradigms here, let's just talk a little bit about what kinds of women's ministry you've been involved in just so that the listener has an opportunity to hear your heart a little bit. Okay, great. I have had so many opportunities. Um, I have led, uh, started out leading Bible studies, which became um, leading a group of women who were leading Bible studies. So I started immediately leading the leaders and training the trainers. And so I've been doing that for a long time. It is where my heart is. is I've had such experience and such exposure, and God's given me so many opportunities. I want to share that with other women who are called to lead. And so I really believe in leading by example. And so I've had the uh, developed focus ministry for women. I've worked on church boards. I've worked, uh, you know, coordinated small groups. Um, my husband and I pastor. So I've been exposed to a lot of different areas of leading. And you also do a conference for women, don't you? 
I do. We do conferences. We do uh, one annual conference, and then throughout the year we do. Uh, we're starting to do many workshops, so that we. You know, it's not a big conference where we're going to have to take a whole weekend off and travel, but we're going to do like Saturday workshops to just teach on some basic principles and and give women an opportunity to come together, but without having to actually travel or a lot of expense. Awesome. And you guys can learn more about Sherry over at FocusWomen.org. Sherry, let's dive right in. Um, okay. One of the things that you wanted to talk to us about uh, was about a lesson we can learn from Noah, from how he lived. Yes. You know, I think Noah is the perfect example of leaders do what's right, even if they're alone. <laughs> even if you're the only one who knows that you're called to do this particular thing. In Genesis 6, God's talking um, well, he's despairing over you know what has happened to humanity, and um, he decides to wipe out the human race and start from scratch. But Noah, being the only one who has not been corrupted, um, he asks him to build an ark, and he's going to save him and his family and the and the host of animals that he's going to bring aboard. So as he's boarding the ark, God says to him, "For you alone, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time." So literally. The whole world was doing what was wrong, and Noah was doing what was right. And it didn't deter Noah, even when he saw the whole world doing what was wrong. It didn't deter him. He was determined. That's not an always, you know, not always an easy road to take. At, as women's ministry leaders or women's leaders, we really need to set the example and know that even if we are the only one who knows what we're called to do, we need to keep going, even when the things are not right. Now, a lot of times, you know, we live in a world, and so a lot of times you'll come across as you're trying to do an event or you're trying to organize something, you're going to find others that want to do it a different way and maybe not the right way. And if you know that you're called to do the right thing for the right reason, then we need, as a leader, we need to stand firm. And we need to know that um, God is calling us out for, to a certain specific event or a certain uh, teaching or whatever it might be. And we set the example by staying true to that and doing what's right when everybody else could possibly be doing something that isn't. And there's such a big difference between being manipulative and controlling and doing the right thing. I think about, you know, your example is Noah, and he had very specific instructions from God about how to build this ark. And somebody else might have come in and said, you know, we work a lot better if we put the wall over here or whatever, and if there was no instruction about that particular thing, he should actually take that counsel. But if there was instruction, he should stick with the instruction from God. And I think it's important for us to have the balance of being a team player, of, you know, being also willing to listen to advice from people, but staying true to what God's put on our hearts. Not always an easy thing to do. Right. No, it isn't. But it is, that is true, and the balance is the key word there, Marnie, because, you know, other people are going to have ideas, and they could be great ones. You know, so we want to listen, too, in that, in those situations. Hmm. Let's go on. Abraham, what do we learn from him? Oh, Abraham. <laughs> Leaders embrace the unknown. In other words, as a leader, we embrace the fact that we don't really know for sure how maybe all this is going to turn out or what God's calling us and asking us to do. You know, um, Genesis 12, God approaches Abraham and he tells him to go forth from his country, from all of his relatives, from his father's house to the land which I will show you. He did not say where specifically Abraham was to go. So he's instructed to leave his comfort zone 
and march into um, an uncertainty for sure and who knows what. So I, I really believe this is important because good leaders, great leaders, really embrace that uncertainty um, because we know the truth. We know what God's promised us. We know that the promised land awaits us, you know, on the other side, no matter what's going on. And so as women's ministry leaders, I think there are times when we know as leaders that God wants us to follow a certain path. We don't always know where it's going to end up. We think we do. And I have a great example of that. A couple of years ago, I knew I was called. um, God gave me a specific name for a conference called Stepping Outside the Box. And I knew that um, the subject matter would be to step outside the box and worship to begin to step outside your box in prayer. And so in my mind, I have this conference set up and uh, my goal or what I thought the purpose was to help these women step outside the box. And that, that was absolutely true. But the one thing it did that I had no idea where God was taking it, it was actually a unifying conference for the women in our area. There were like seven or eight different churches there, which is a big deal in our particular part of the country um, for that unity to come. So what God did was I didn't, I embraced the conference, but I had to embrace the unknown. I really knew that the end result was his, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. his result was completely different than what I had expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I live in, live in that. You know, and I, and I often think, I, I've actually come to the conclusion that God knows how to motivate us. And um, mm-hmm. that he knows, he knows the best carrot and the best stick to use and that's how he gets us going, and that things rarely look the way that we expect them. You know, I, I, as my example, as my maybe comfort, always I think of Jesus' mom and how the yeah. angel came to her, and she's this young girl, and says, you know, he's going to have a baby, and he's going to be the king of the Jews, and I'm sure she's thinking crowns and riches and palaces, and and um, that is not at all <laughs> what it looked like. And I'm sure standing under the cross, she's looking up going, you know, that crown of thorns and that little sign up there that says King of Jews, that is not what the angel meant. I'm really sure <laughs> that's not what the angel meant. And of course it wasn't. But she really never got to see what she anticipated. She only got to see the reality of what God allowed her to see at the time. And leaders, that is so often our, our situation. God is doing something. He's doing something big through you and you don't get to see it right now. It's this is huge. We embrace the unknown. Love that. Talk to us about Joseph. Mm-hmm. Well, Joseph, well, he, you know, leaders endure in spite of circumstances. And if you remember the story of Joseph, his circumstances were not always great. <laughs> um, Genesis 37. And that is a powerful story. You know, he had a tough life. Um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers who were jealous of him, told that he'd been killed by a wild animal. He was framed by um, his boss's wife, <laughs> you know, thrown into prison. I mean, things were not going well. And he interpreted the dream of a prisoner who was released and restored to his position, but the guy forgot about it. So in the end, though Joseph became the leader of all of Egypt, um, he was only second to Pharaoh himself, you know, that was the end result. But the circumstances along the way were really tough. You know, and when there's a famine, he's able then to save his family from starvation. And he tells his brothers when he sees them again that, um, God had orchestrated the events to put Joseph in a position to save them. And I think here's what the important thing for us as women ministry leaders. Leaders have a vision. We need to have a vision that sustains them, sustains, sustains us excuse me, through difficult times because circumstances are not always going to go well. In fact, 
they hardly ever go the way I plan them. <laughs> and sometimes things get tough, you know. We need to hang in there and endure and finish what God's called us to do despite the circumstances. So it's called leading in the tough times. You know, it's not always that easy to do, but we don't want to let go of our calling. We don't want to let go of our uh, mission, no matter what the situation. And there can be all kinds of circumstances when you're working in women's ministry. It could be people, relationships. It could be financial. A lot of ministry leaders I work with, a lot of it is financial. They they have something that they want to do, a project or whatever, and you know don't have the funds to do it. So there's all kinds of things that can happen. Um, I've had moments when we had speakers lined up and they couldn't attend or um, something happened and the worship leader had to counsel or whatever. So we have to endure during those um, situations and lead in spite of our circumstances. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I wrote a song called Big Dreams. I'm going to... I'm going to read you just a little bit um, out of Joseph's story. Little Joseph, dreamer boy, his brothers just couldn't enjoy his great big dream, his end they did scheme. Then off to Egypt was sold. He kept his faith, but yet he was told to go straight to jail. There'd be no bail. Joseph in that prison did give God his best for his glory he lived. One day was taken to see the great king, and there he gave God credit for in a pit. Then on a throne, he did sit. Mm. Big schemes, big plans, big visions of valor. God strips us down till all hope seems gone. Why would he lead us here so our hearts draw near? Oh, let our hearts draw near. And so we're going to come right back and talk with Sherry a little bit more about leadership from a biblical perspective. We'll be right back. This is Marnie Sledger. Welcome back. I'm not sure if that um, commercial aired. Sherry, are you here? I am. Okay. I'm not. I'm not sure. I didn't hear anything. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, all you heard something. But anyway, technology sometimes it doesn't work so great. Sherry, we're talking today about biblical leadership, and uh, we were just talking about uh, little Joseph and another guy that had a lot of huge leadership responsibility in his life and huge confusion in his life with Moses. Uh, what does he teach us? Well, you know, I think with Moses, I think he's perfect in that example of leaders sticking up for their people, you know, stepping up to lead. Um, God had to be pretty convincing in order to get Moses to take action in Exodus 3. You know, he gave excuse after excuse as to why he wasn't the right guy for the job. And um, when he finally does answer the calling, um, he does approach Pharaoh, and he boldly says, you know, let my people go. He stood up for his people. And the, Moses' native people had been enslaved by Egypt, and so he was the one enlisted to lead them to freedom. And when the time came, he was willing to step up and lead. And I believe that for us as women leaders, um, it's so important that we are willing to step up and lead our people in what God has called them to do also. I, you know, we'll talk... Um, if we get a, a moment, we'll talk a little bit about personality-style sp- spiritual gifts and how that works into women's ministry. But I think that we need to, as leaders, recognize um, to stand up for our people and what God has called them to do. So, for instance, if you have a team of volunteer women, everyone's going to have a different personality style. Everyone's going to have different spiritual gifts. But we need to stand up and step up and lead each person individually in what they are called to do and in their style and in their spiritual gifts. So, 
yes, it means showing loyalty to the team, but I think more importantly, it really means stepping up to lead them and help them learn um, to develop the skills and the different things that go with their spiritual gifts that God has called them to do. Absolutely, Tim Beston. And, you know, in the story of Moses, it's kind of interesting because his people didn't even believe in him. He went right. and he had to actually not only fight Pharaoh, he had to fight the Israelites. Yes, he oh, did. And then you think out in the wilderness, you know, God's ready to kill him. And I'm sure I'm sure Moses was ready to kill him too, you know what I mean? <laughs> they weren't being nice. <laughs> they were being the worst terrible two-year-old you've ever heard, except they were grown mm-hmm. people behaving like two-year-old brats. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and yet he again stuck up to them. He was a leader who really took seriously the responsibility that God put on his shoulders. Yes, yes. Mm. I think about his dad, father-in-law coming too, and giving him some pretty good advice, you know, you're doing all this work. And um, time for you to delegate some of this work. I think that's important in women's ministry too. Yes, that volunteer group needs. You know, we delegate to those those women who um, have a specific skill for a certain task, and delegate that, and call them up, and have them step into what you know God's calling them to do. Yeah, and then back to like point one, where leaders do what's right. You know, sometimes it was his very leadership group that was rebelling mm-hmm. against God. And he had to, again, mm-hmm. stand alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. and stick up for the people, you know, stick up for God, stick up for the people. Wow. Yeah, he is, um, you know, when God said that he was the most humble man on earth, he, he knew what he was talking mm-hmm. about. Moses, we have so much to learn from Moses because Moses truly did put God's heart and the people, in his people's heart before himself his whole life. And he started leading. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and his successor, Joshua. I think this is a perfect example of leaders ruling by example rather than command and rather than dictation. (laughs) I think as leaders, we must lead by example. You know, in Joshua 24, after leading his people into the new land, Joshua offers the Israelites the option to either serve the God who they had always served, the one who brought them into the land or serve the gods of the surrounding lands. And he said, but for me and my house, we will service the Lord. We will serve the Lord. So the people answered in unison that they would pledge their allegiance to God. And because they believed in Joshua's leadership and because he had set the example, um, that's what was the convincing thing. They were watching him actually walk it out rather than just talking. He doesn't threaten them. He just inspired them by their example. I think this is really so critical in all types of leadership but especially in a type of um, ministry leadership where you're usually, again, working with volunteer groups and sometimes the tasks are not exciting. You know, I always say that my focus service team, we're servant leaders. And so one of the servant leader team members might be vacuuming after the conference or cleaning the bathroom or emptying the garbage or whatever it might be because we're servants. But we set the example um, of uh, leadership because that's how I work it. You know, I just feel like if God's called me to do something, then I do whatever task is necessary. They're not always glamorous, but I try to set the example and I hope that I do a good job. And I think that that's passing something down too besides just saying, hey, sure, he's willing to do that part. You know, let me let me follow in that. 
um, they also, I believe, especially for the younger women who maybe haven't had as much training, you're really giving this, um, you're really passing on your heart, your servant's heart to them and showing them what it, it, it means. And so I think we have to inspire by example and we need to teach by example as much as we might tell someone how to do something, it's so much more important for them to see us doing it. Hmm. When I took um, years and years ago before Blog Talk Radio, before any of this, I used to do teleconferences, and when I was taking the training to do that, one of the things that they just drilled into my head was that what you do is what you get. What you do is what you get. So if you came into the teleconference training and you gave a five-minute long-winded introduction without the people talking at all, you could expect that the first person to respond to you would give a five-minute response, <laughs> which on a teleconference uh, takes up, uh, you know, a lot of the time. So if you wanted short responses from people, you had to actually model that immediately. And it was really a great training for me in all categories of leadership because what you model is what you get. And so as a leader, to lead by example is really your number one way to lead. Uh, words are great. Um, instructions yes. are important and necessary. But leading by example, and especially when you lead from a servant's heart, that is going to be the most powerful thing. I love the book. If you guys want to read a great book on this, it's called Leading with a Limp. Leading with a Limp by Dan Allender, a fantastic book on how to be an example as a leader and to really walk this out in our lives. So let's talk a, a little bit, um, <laughs> talk a little bit about David, another one of my favorites. I think leaders are not afraid of giants. <laughs> we just have mm-hmm. to not be afraid of giants. And David is, you know, um, I just think this is such a, an example. First um, Samuel seventeen. Um, is our reference here, and the Israelites are being defeated by the Philistines and their nine-foot-tall giant, Goliath, and he taunts the Israelites. He challenges them to send one man, and if that one man can defeat him, then uh, they would become their servants. And so David, this small shepherd boy who, you know, wouldn't even fit into the armor, um, volunteers, and Goliath, of course, mocks him, you know, and David says, you know, you come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have taunted. And with that, what happens? He takes that stone, he slings it, and knocks the giant to the ground. And so I really think that we do face a lot of giants when we're in ministry of any kind and when we're leading a women's ministry team um, and when we're we're putting on uh, conferences and these events that are so important um, to bring the gospel to women, to bring um, the the biblical um, principles and the scriptures, we are going to face giants. And so we can't be afraid of that. You know, there's nothing that we can't do without Jesus. And so we just have to always stay in the mode of I can do all things through him. And um, no matter what giants would come at us, you know, we don't allow them to take over. And so there are lots of giants. Um, I've mentioned before finances. You know, this is something that as I train, a lot of times that is the giant that's standing out there between what someone wants to do or what they feel God is calling them to do to help women to put on an event, a conference, a mission, maybe it's a mission trip, whatever it might be. And and finances are often the giant. Sometimes there is actually um, just coming from other people, they can be the giant. 
Um, it could be something that, you know, people just don't understand or maybe that others are coming against them. So there's a lot of different things that could be that giant. But the important thing here is leaders can't be afraid of that. And we don't have to be afraid of that because we can walk with knowing that God is going to give us. He's not going to call us to something and then not, you know, give us what we need to finish it, to complete it. And um, if we stay in his will and if we stay in the word, stay in prayer, we don't have to be afraid of any type of a giant that might come along. And, again, it could be anything. So great. In the Success Principles Coach Certification Program that I teach over at Marnie.com, I talk about the three different kinds of fear. And, you know, the one that we always hear about is the fear that's the false evidence appearing real. And that's the one that you're talking about right here. It's a giant who really is real, but God is bigger. And to combat that, we just think about the 314 times in the Bible that the Bible talks about fear, and almost always the word not follows the word fear, fear not, because God mm-hmm. has got this thing. You know, even though it, it is real, it's right there in front of you, it is a threat, kind of threat that compared to God is false evidence appearing real. And then there's the two kinds of, there's two kinds of things that you should be careful for. First is a cautionary fear. And that's like when we read the pill bottle and reject poisonous, you know, options or when we stop at a railroad crossing because the arms are down or (laughs) when we drive the speed limit or when we strap ourselves in or things like that. Those are are red flag type fears where we are actually being warned by God not to do something or to do something a different way, Uh, just like Mary and Joseph in the night were woken up, go a different way there's going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are godly fears, and we should do that. And the other one is the healthy, powerful fear that we, uh, this is not a fight or flight fear. This this fear draws us toward God. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, we get into a jet and we fly through the air. That should be a healthy fear. <laughs> but we yeah. trust ourselves to the plane and the pilot, right? Because we know that they have a good record for taking care of people in airplanes while we're flying through the air. And uh, so with God, it's the same way. We, we, we entrust ourselves to powerful him, even when we're doing something that's, you know, very dangerous if we didn't have yeah. him. And so just to, yeah. just, uh, just balance where we've got these, and I, I agree with you. Uh, and for years, uh, Sherry, and still sometimes it happens to me, but for years, I think that the thing that drove me to my prayer chair the most often was finances, which after yes. a while, I really got almost convicted about that. It's like, really? I'm going to pray more about money than I'm going to pray for souls. Really? I'm going to pray more about mm-hmm. money than I'm going to pray for the women speakers. You know, it's like, why am I spending so much of my time praying about finances when I can trust God for this? And we have to, you know, listen and use the money that he gives us wisely, but we also have to know that he owns everything. Money is not an issue for him. It's just False evidence appearing real for us, and it stops us dead in our tracks unless we trust. Yeah, huge, huge. I love that. Love that. Well, this is Marty Swedberg. We're visiting today with Sherry Poundstone of FocusWomen.org. We're going to take a little break and come right back and talk about a few more leaders and leadership concepts that are going to be very important to your leadership uh, success. We'll be right back. 
WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and of course, Sherry's one of our speakers over at womenspeakers.com. You want to check that out anytime that you have the need of bringing in a Christian woman speaker for your Christian event, for your business event, whatever it is, if you want somebody who's going to come and do a good job, as well as turn hearts toward God you want to check out the speakers over at womenspeakers.com. Sherry, let's go ahead and keep talking. Uh, we're going to talk next about Isaiah. Yes, Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Leaders rise to the occasion, and in a vision that um, Isaiah has in Isaiah 6, God asks him who he should send as a prophet to his people, and Isaiah's response is, here I am, or here am I, which depending on the translation you read, send me. And so leaders don't wait to see if anyone else is going to step up when something needs to be done. Um, as a leader, we should be taking the initiative. We're the first to raise our hand, the first to stand up, the first to speak up, the first to make decisions. And so we don't want to um, be caught in, um, in in action. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the term, what is that term about uh, paralysis by analysis or something? A lot of times when you're working, yeah, so when you're working in a group, um, and you have an idea and you're trying to work through something, sometimes things can get overanalyzed or it can be talked about so much that nobody ever takes any action, that type of thing. And I think as leaders, we really need to rise to the occasion and be the one to step up and step out and take action. And inaction is really something that's going to just stymie anything you're trying to do. And so, again, setting by the example or serving by the example, you know, we need to be the ones who are actually taking action. We need to be always ready to take that plunge or that step when needed. And I think as women's ministry leaders, this is another thing that I do see a lot of um, issues with, and, and, and only in it can become a problem when we don't have a leader, a strong leader, who will stand up and take the action. So, again, that analysis paralysis by analysis, that saying um, can really happen so easily. So as leaders, we need to be the ones to step up. We need to, um, just like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And I think that we need to not wait for someone else to take to take the responsibility to take the step. Now, again, I'm not talking about not delegating. I'm not saying as a leader that we should you know, do everything on our own, but to actually take action and set the example that we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to actually do it. I love that. And I actually have this little practice in my own life that um, I think keeps my, you know, send me button <laughs> at the ready. <laughs> um, whenever, whenever I'm anywhere, whenever I'm anywhere, or even listening on the radio to a speaker or, you know, whatever, and there's the opportunity to make a commitment to God. If I in any way, shape, or form feel like I can make that commitment, I always do. I always raise my hand. I always go forward. I always stand up. I always say, yes, me. Pick me. And I, even, I even wrote a song. I even wrote a song called that, uh, Sherry. Let it be me. When you're looking for somebody to use today, let it be me. And I just love this. And, and a leader not only 
not only do leaders do this, say standing, but that's the very reason they were chosen to be the leader is because they would be willing to do it. Um, If you're looking to be a leader, you need to begin to develop this skill and this willingness in your heart to say, yeah, this is to be done, I'll do it. Um, Errands to be run, I'll do it. Uh, Things to be led, I'll lead. You know, it's all the same. I I just, uh, Sherry, I've always thought that when I was changing my baby's diapers, that that Mm -hmm. was as much ministry as standing in front of a group speaking. I've always had the same. There is no difference to me whether I'm at my restaurant washing dishes or I'm at my restaurant leading a team meeting or I'm, you know, here talking to you on the radio. There is no difference. Jesus Christ is with me everywhere. He's using me everywhere. Am I going to be willing to be used? Am I going to be his vessel to do whatever it is that needs to be done through this body today, through this mouth today? Yeah. Love that. Oh, that is so good. That's so good. Yeah. Let's uh, uh, talk about Daniel. (laughs) Daniel. Wow. (laughs) You know, know. we all know the story of Daniel. I kind of would like to just go over it a little bit, but remember the story of Daniel in Daniel 6. You know, um, he's a a government official. He's highly esteemed. His um, colleagues become jealous, and so they're trying to get rid of him, and they know that he's a religious man. His colleagues actually convinced the king to um, enact a decree saying that prayer uh, can be made to no God except for the king. And So once that's made, Daniel continues on praying and giving thanks to, to God, our God, just like he always did. But when he's caught, the colleagues tell the king, and they, he's forced um, into the lion's den. And the next morning, the king finds Daniel alive, as we all know, and the lions have not harmed him. And Daniel's faith is what... Um, his faith in God is what made him great in the first place. And knowing this, knowing that his faith in God was what who, what made him who he was, you know, he couldn't recant regardless of what happened to him, and he wouldn't. And so great leaders follow this example, I believe. They maintain a steadfastness in convictions. And um, regardless of what happens, we need to hold on to our convictions. And so really they leaders maintain their resolve without regard for consequences. And that doesn't mean that um, we don't face consequences if we make wrong choices. I'm not talking about that kind of consequence. But we stand firm in what we believe and what we know to be right, what we know to be right, and um, that we just don't waver. And a strong leader that does that, again, is setting such a powerful example. I'm kind of on this kick with younger women right now because I'm finding a lot of the younger women, they want leadership. And so um, I'm, I'm finding in this kind of a situation where we can maintain and stand firm in our convictions and what we know to be truth is such a powerful example, example to them. They're not seeing it in culture, and they're not finding it in other places. So um, as I bring young women in to mentor them in ministry or just even to mentor them personally, I'm trying to really um, lead with uh, such a resolve and, and such a... Um, steadfastness in what I believe. I have a phrase that I say to myself because I'm very much a, <laughs> you know, if you were going to look at Winnie the Pooh, the story of Winnie the Pooh, and I, I like to use Winnie the Pooh sometimes for uh, personality training because uh, we've got all the mm-hmm. personalities there so loudly, and I'm definitely piglet. I'm the scary cat. <laughs> I'm the one who's scared <laughs> of everything. And so I've actually adopted a little phrase for myself in these situations where the leader must resolve to 
stick with what God's called us to do regardless of personal safety, regardless of how it's going to feel for me. I, I have to do what God's called me to do. And I actually have this phrase that I say a lot, zero self-defense. Zero mm. self-defense at the mercy of God, at the mercy of God. And zero self-defense is actually the part of it that comes up to my conscious thought when I'm facing a situation where I have to make a decision now. Am I going to do the right thing? Okay, we talked about that already with Noah, right? Leaders do the right thing even if they're alone, even if it's tough. Uh, we talked about endurance and results. But here to maintain a commitment to do what God's called me to do, no matter how it is going to affect me personally, and I know it's going to be painful or it sure looks that way. Um, you know, Daniel is the best illustration for this because, honestly, he knew for sure that he was going to go in the lion's den if he did this. And he just went yes. straight back in. <laughs> yes, he did. He did. And he didn't shut his door or hide about it or change times of day so they wouldn't. I mean, he could have so easily just shifted in an hour and nobody would have watched him, you know. Uh, no, zero self-defense. Just this is the right thing for me to do. I'm going to do this and trust God. Love that example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about Very John good. the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, Matthew 3, you know, he's baptizing people. He's preaching about the coming of Jesus and um the religious officials, you know, self-righteous, pretentious, um, when they came for baptism, he calls them out for what they are. He says, a brood of vipers. Leaders aren't afraid to call it like it is. And I think, you know, this could be uh, construed as kind of a negative standpoint, but I don't really mean it that way at all. We do need to call it like it is as strong leaders. And so it could be a supplier. It could be um, someone that we're just working with, um, outside the team or it could be someone at the conferences or at the workshops or somebody in a Bible study. But we need to have what it takes through Jesus to call things like they are. Now, because there, there are sometimes we have to be very honest with people that we're coming into contact with and that we're ministering. And this is another thing that as I work with leaders, I find it so tough, you know, um, confrontation. We'll talk about it in just a little bit, but I think that... Um, what we need to do is recognize that it's not um, aggressive approach. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about with strength in Christ, with knowing what's right, that if we need to call something out, call it like it is, um, we need to confront in a biblical way. And so when we confront in a biblical way, the goal is always restoration. It's never to confront something, call it like it is, and and do something um, that's going to harm someone. The goal is always restoration. And, of course, we want to always begin approaching in private. Um, if we do have to call it out, call something that's not right onto, um, out into the open, we need to you know, do that in private if we can. And it needs to be based in love. Loving confrontation is never going to hurt anyone. It might not be easy to, to handle, but um, if we do it from a love standpoint. And um, I think the whole thing that I, I want to just really emphasize is restoration is always key. So if you're the leader... And you know, and you're in a situation, you see something that isn't right, or something that needs to be corrected, someone that needs to be corrected. We need to know always that to approach from love, and always the goal is restoration. But as a strong leader, John the Baptist said, you know, a brood of vipers. He was not afraid to call it out, call it what it was. And so we need to follow that example, but always based in love, and always based in um, prayer. And I always like to say here, too, if you have a situation like that where you need to call something out, 
there has to be a, a biblical confrontation, you know, get help. Call a mentor, someone that you trust, someone who's your mentor you're covering, and get some help with that, too. It's not something that we always have to do on our own. But leaders are not afraid to do that. And I had a really good piece of advice given to me about that years ago, that it should hurt me more than the person I'm confronting. Oh, that's good. Yeah, oh, yes. because if I'm if I'm getting if I'm getting a high off of it, or if I'm getting you know some kind of a sense of um, retaliation or payback or mm-hmm. anything like that, mm-hmm. I know I'm out of line. Um, so mm-hmm. we need to be careful there. But we have to remember, you know, Jesus told Peter, "Get behind me, Satan," and Paul called Peter out and said, "You should not be being two faced like this." So there's lots of examples of this scripturally, but be sure that you're not doing it for your own purposes. This is Marnie Flebert. We're talking today with Sherry Johnson. We're going to come right back and talk about um, leadership. Jesus thought we'll be right back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more, all available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Welcome back. This is Marty. Our guest today, Sherry Poundstone, is visiting with us about leadership from a biblical perspective. Sherry, let's just take a couple of seconds here and talk about um, a few of the overall, the global things. Um, it's important for a leader to have clear vision. Uh, talk to us about vision for just a moment. I think if we don't have a clear vision, you know, if we don't know where we're going, we can't get there. And so we do need to have a clear vision. A lot of times, uh, you know, I think this vision statement thing gets kind of thrown around and people just take it as uh, something, oh, let me just write out a sentence or whatever. But the thing is, as as, uh, biblical-based leaders, we need to know what God's calling us to do and what is the vision God wants for us for whatever mission that we're on, for whatever ministry. So I do believe that vision is important and that it should be written out um, and shared with your team and and that type of thing, uh, critically important. If you don't have a vision already, you need to work on that. There's a training actually in uh, the membership zone at Marnie.com that will help you with that. But what I teach in the women's ministry guide starting or growing a women's ministry is that you need your vision needs to align itself with your churches or the the overall the umbrella organization that you're under. Your vision needs to absolutely align itself with what that vision is. So the women's ministry should not have its own separate vision that has nothing to do with the church's vision or the leadership's vision of your organization. You need to get their vision first, pray through that, and then find your own vision within or underneath that umbrella that matches it to make sure you're going the right direction. How about um, how about followers, Sherry? Uh, followers, I'm sorry, I, don't, I think I heard you. Yeah, that it's was right. Up. Oh, Okay. Um, followers, just your relationship with the people that are under you. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm hearing you now. I'm sorry. There was a little bit of a, a static okay. or something on the Yeah, something's breaking up. Um, as far as the team following, um, working in relationship with the followers, with the team members, I think it's important that you understand as a leader, too, I think this is critical, that we need to have a relationship with each team member I hope that um, as a leader that you would want to have a relationship. You know, and some some relationships are going to be deeper than others. Some are going to be um, 
maybe more of an acquaintance or just a working relationship. But I think it's very important that you have that connection. Women are about connecting. You know, we're about communicating. We're about connection. And so it's incredibly important as a leader that you have um, as much of a relationship um, with each team member as you can. And again, you're yeah. going to have your your leaders that you know are going to step up, and you might have a closer relationship with some. Right, and you know, from Jesus' example, he had twelve leaders that he was, uh, you know, personally working with, as well as you know, seventy more, as well as within the twelve, he had some that were very close. So, don't you know, you can't be the same to everybody. You have to let God orchestrate those relationships. And as you get to know these people, uh, you're going to kind of see their gifts a little bit more. We're going to have a whole training program on gifts coming up here in January with Mindy Ferguson. But just today, just know that the giftedness of your leaders is critically important. You need to have the gifts uh, covered. You need to have uh, people. And God's amazing like that uh, in body life. But that's something that can come out. And then just talk for a moment about the vulnerability aspect. Being a uh, follower uh the vulnerability of being a follower, um, of being a follower and a leader is huge. You know, we're allowing ourselves, um, when we're allowing ourselves to be led by someone, we are actually saying, you know, I trust you and I'm putting faith in you that you can can lead, that you know what you're doing, so to speak, and that God is, is leading you. I think it's really important for us to understand that um, when we are in a team, on a team situation and we have a leader or several leaders, those leaders should be servants, which we're going to talk about in just a second. But um, they're also just people. <laughs> I think sometimes we Hi. tend to put the leader up. Well, this is Marnie, and I'm not sure if we lost Sherry. Um, she's still showing up on the switchboard here, but we're not hearing you anymore, Sherry, if you can hear oh. us. So there we go. Okay, can you're you back. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we Hello? can hear you now. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Can you hear? I'm not can you hear sure what's happening? Sherry, I'm not can sure you hear what's me? happening here? I can hear I you know. now. Okay. I, I don't sometimes, know what's happening today, but you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we just have little glitches that go on. So um, let's go ahead and talk about Jesus being one of those servants, a servant leader. In fact, oh. the ultimate servant leader. The ultimate. Yes, the ultimate servant leader. And I think when we talk about um, being a servant, that he has to be our example. There's just no other example. And in John 13, you know, one of the most powerful images in the Bible is Jesus leaves washing the disciples' feet. And when he's finished, he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, you are so right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. So he's, of course, not really talking about washing feet. He's talking about servant leadership. And great leaders are those who focus on serving those who follow us, um, follow them. I mean, great leaders wash people's feet from the standpoint of we're there to serve as the leader. We should be there to serve the team first. Um, and what this means for us in women's ministry is often what our needs or maybe our desires to the backside. And we focus on what is needed to accomplish the goal, what is needed to um, help our team members. And so we need to have a servant's heart from the very beginning. And that is why I do call my, um, for Focus Ministry, we always try to call our leaders servant leaders because that is really our goal is to serve the women from the, from the get-go, from uh, whatever God's calling it, us to do with uh, an event or with a Bible study or whatever it might be. Mm, I love that. 
so important. Let's talk about Peter. <laughs> oh, leaders recover from failure. <laughs> you know that um, failing forward or failing up is a, is kind of a phrase that has been used um, in our culture recently, and I think it actually is very uh, powerful, that phrase, because we, we often think that when we fail, we've dropped or we've, um, we've missed the mark or we should stop or we should give up. And instead of thinking about it, that um, we can recover from failure. So, you know, not everything's going to work that we try to do. Um, it's something that most of us don't recognize as a good thing. You know, we think, oh, if we've messed up or we've made the wrong choice, we've taken the wrong road. But Peter... Uh, you know, he denies even knowing Christ three times while Jesus was being crucified. And Jesus predicted he would do it. And Peter said he wouldn't. You know, he said he would not. He went to death. And then when the rooster crows, um, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen, Peter realizes what he had done, and he weeps bitterly. In Acts 2, we see Peter giving the first sermon after Jesus' ascension into heaven to a crowd of thousands of people. So um, he had previously denied Jesus in front of just uh, the same people probably a few days earlier. So the point here is leaders don't get become discouraged when they fail. They don't follow in self-pity, and um, they don't give up due to a mishap or a wrong uh, direction, maybe take a wrong road, maybe uh, make a wrong choice in something. They just pick themselves back up, continue on, and determine to do it better next time. And so we, as leaders, must recover from failure. And again, this is a great example for people, for other women that we're leading, is um, to see that, yes, we do make mistakes. If we, we, we do have something that maybe we regret uh, going down that road or making that choice or that decision. And so it's good that we can um, show that we can recover from failure. We can fail forward. We can fail up. Hmm. In Romans 7, um, you know, Paul very much talks about this, uh, about how, we don't want to fail, but we sometimes do. And Jesus talked about it very clearly, too, when his his feet were just washed with the hair of a prostitute. Yeah. Uh, his and dried with her hair. And um, he, he talked about, because he, that was criticized there, she took some person. He talked about how when much is forgiven, you know, uh, there's much love there. And, and it's true. I believe that one of the reasons why Peter was, so very useful was because he had been forgiven of such a great, great sin of um, betrayal. I mean, he he was, it was, yeah. I, I just can't even fathom myself being in his shoes and hearing that rooster crow and just the utter shame. And I mean, I've experienced shame in my life, but that would be the ultimate shame would be to, you know, to so thoroughly deny Christ when he so needed a friend, you know, yeah. to yeah. stand up and I'm with you, you know. And uh, so for, for him to be so thoroughly forgiven of this, you know, he, he just this, this huge, powerful leader emerges. And I want you to remember that when you take a big fall, uh, remember that there is grace, that there is forgiveness. And the bigger the fall you just were forgiven for, the more love, the more tenacity, the more commitment you can have. You can either use it to make you better or use it to make you better, and that's really the truth of it. Um, I think one of the things that was interesting to me, I, I looked up here at the title of this book. I've been reading a book by um, Kelly McGonigal, and it's called The Willpower Instinct. And 
in that book, she has you do a little exercise, and I was shocked at my response. I was to think about myself failing to do something that I was pretty sure I was going to be able to do. I was confident that I'd be able to do. And it was interesting, uh, Sherry, that I had the same response as all the people in the test study, that they really <laughs> couldn't see themselves failing. They couldn't see themselves failing mm-hmm. at that. That was Peter's situation. Peter told Jesus, absolutely not. I will not fail you there. <laughs> but the fact is that sometimes despite our very best results, despite our very greatest confidence in ourselves <laughs> or even in God through us, sometimes we fail. Mm-hmm. And when we do, there are the loving arms of grace there to pick us up, which um, bring us back to our final leadership uh, example here, Paul. Okay. Well, Marnie, I think Paul is the example, the ultimate example of having passion for what you believe in, whether it's good or bad, right, throughout his life. Um, he was a very zealous, very passionate. Um, when he was a Pharisee, violently opposed Christians. And then, of course, when Jesus appears in the next nine and changes everything, he becomes equally passionate about the truth of Christianity. He travels all across the known world, spreading the message about Jesus. And he established churches everywhere he went, and his passion is what led him. His passion for Christ kept him going. And so I think leaders that are driven with a sense of purpose um, are the most effective leaders. You know, leaders who have a fire lit under them and and feel like, um, feel compelled to accomplish what they're passionate about, and there's just really no place for apathy in the life of a leader, but I think passion, you know, we all have areas that maybe are good at. We have things that we can actually do, we have that one thing, that one purpose, that one area that we are so passionate about, and we just care and care deeply about that. And I think in women's ministry, one of the things about this is this is what really will push you through. This is what push you, will push your team through. Is a leader that's so passionate about what God's calling them to do, and um, you know that you know that you know that this is where you're supposed to go, and that passion will come into play when things get tough, when all of the things you've been talking about can come against you, or circumstances, or whatever. We have that um, approach that you know nothing's going to stop us um, with God's help. Obviously, you know I think this is the one of the key things for a leader is to know what your purpose is and what you're called to do and then, you know, pr- uh, proceed with passion in every part of the ministry. Mm. Yeah, love that, love that. And I think of Paul, I think of Paul always um, just as, again, a guy who had a lot to be forgiven of and he was so passionate and so zealous to kill and torture the Christians mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. he met Christ and God just took all that passion and flipped it for good. And so passion is neither positive nor negative of its own self. Passion just is and It is what is put behind it that really matters. So to have deep faith in God, that God has got you, that God is orchestrating your steps, that God has got the resources, whether it's people or time or money or whatever it is that you need to accomplish the work that he's put in your heart, that passionate faith. And, you know, Sherry, for me, as a leader, I, when people say, what can I pray for you for? I have the same answer. Pray that my faith would not fail. <laughs> because mm. there is this constant barrage, this, this consistent attack on the faith of a leader 
And you pray for yes. your leader uh, that their faith would not fail and have other people pray for you that your faith would not fail, that your heart would remain as passionate as it was the day God put the vision in your heart for whatever ministry it is he's called you to do. And Sherry, that's what I see in you, just a, a faithful, faithful, passionate servant who is just living her life out for Jesus Christ. I'm so excited to know you and to introduce you to the listeners today. Sherry, if um, somebody wanted to find out more about you, what would be the best route to go? I think the best thing is to go to our website, focuswomen.org. You can find us on Twitter, um, and uh, there's some email and contact information there. And um, I'm also listed uh, for speaking on, on your website, uh, womenspeaker.com. So um, there's a number of different ways to reach me, but I'm pretty much everywhere on social media these days. Okay. All right. And where's home for you? Uh, we are in Reno, Nevada. That's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. want to guess you. Yes, that's right. I think, I think no, last week right. I told the audience of every, some, our guest was from Australia and it was Switzerland, so I think I got that one kind of off. <laughs> 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 well, I'm I so grateful it. that you could be here today. Sherry, do you have a favorite Bible verse or a theme verse for life? I do, Jeremiah 2911, um, mm. because I believe that we all need to understand that God has the plan for us. And as a leader, that is something to hang on to. And I've, I've hung on to that scripture many times, um, that he has the plan and it's for good, it's not for bad. And um, so that's something that I think that has gotten me through a lot of tough times. Can you quote it? Oh, I think I think we actually lost you. <laughs> well, that's okay. We're at the end of our program. And our, our uh, technology today has been a little, little bit iffy. But um, we're so grateful today that uh, Sherry could Sherry could be here with us in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I think I have a moment. I can just look it up here. Um, I know it. I know it also. But I just or I get it right. And while I'm looking that up, I'll just read mine to you. Uh, or I'm sorry, I'll just share mine with you. My favorite verse. Uh, my theme verse for life is Second Corinthians nine eight, which says that God is able to make all grace abound so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. And Jeremiah 29, 11, which is just what I thought it was, that it's for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, not to cease and not of evil thoughts to give you an expected or a good end. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Sherry. Thanks all of you for being here. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Check out all the resources over at Marnie.com, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.